Well, good morning and welcome to our Tuesday morning Law Gospel devotional on this January 12th. My name is Eric Sorensen, pastor of Hillside Church in Roxbury, New Jersey, uh, husband to Missy, father to Jude, John, and Lincoln, uh, contributor in multiple ways to 1517, and some other things that aren't as important for us to talk about right now. Glad to be here with you today as we look again at a passage of scripture, usually from our upcoming series of lectionary texts for this Sunday. Uh, and this week, we are not going to look at the epistle text as we have the last few weeks, and we're not going to look at the Old Testament texts, but no, we're going to look at the Psalm text. And so without further ado, why don't we go ahead and pull up our slides here and do a little digging into what we're talking about today. So first of all, you ought to know that the lectionary setting for this Sunday is the gospel text found in John 1, through 51, which is, of course, the famous passage in which Nathaniel comes to, uh, or excuse me, Philip comes to his brother Nathaniel and says, Nathaniel, we found the Lord. I found him. I promise you he's everything that I thought he would be or hoped he would be. Uh, and it turns out he's from Nazareth. And Nathaniel says, uh, say that again. Did you say Nazareth? And Philip says, yes, sir. And Nathaniel says, no good things from, can come from Nazareth. I don't believe you. And Philip, being, you know, new to this whole thing, doesn't try and convince his, his brother. He just says to him, Nathaniel, come and see. And sure enough, that is what Nathaniel does. And to his great surprise, when he arrives, Jesus says, it turns out long before you came to see me, I saw you. And he tells him that he saw him behind the fig tree, quite some ways off, farther than he could possibly see by the naked eye. And Nathaniel realizes he's dealing with somebody with supernatural skill. In other words, he's dealing with somebody that could say that he's watching him. Somebody's watching me, as the uh, one-hit wonder from the 80s Rockwell reminds us. Indeed, Jesus is that person. And that is really what our psalm's all about this week. Psalm 139 says that... Well, if I could narrow it down, it's all about God's providence over all things. It's not luck, it's providence. God is aware of what's going on in his universe. So let's go ahead and dig into that psalm. Uh, first of all, it, yes, it's like he knows. In fact, Psalm 139 and 1 through 6 extols that fact. It says this, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Now, it's abundantly clear here that David is extolling and acknowledging how much God knows. He uses the word or some form of it four times in these four verses or six verses. And notice that he basically leaves no wiggle room. God knows all of his thoughts. God knows all of his words. God knows all of his actions. God knows everything. Indeed, one of the fundamental attributes that we say God has is the attribute of omniscience, that he is all-knowing. 
As David reflects on this reality in the first stanza of Psalm 139, he is filled with awe. Of course, sometimes we like to fool ourselves into believing that God doesn't know, that somehow or another we can hide from him as our first parents did in the garden, Adam and Eve, when they, you know, sowed some fig leaves, got the brilliant idea that that might hide them from the uh, omniscient God. But no, that in fact didn't work. Even though God does come to them saying, where are you? We know very clearly that God always knew where they were. He knows where you are too. He knows your thoughts. He knows your words even before you say them. And he knows your actions even before you commit them. Well, it's not just that though. We also meet a God who pursues in Psalm 139. David says, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day. The darkness is as light with you. Indeed, David doesn't just have a God here that knows, but a God that pursues, that chases, that comes after. David says, there's nowhere that I could escape even if I wanted to. There's nowhere that I can flee. You're everywhere. God isn't just omniscient. God is omnipresent. You're everywhere. Even if I wanted to escape from your presence, there's nowhere for me to go. And it is true for us as well. He is everywhere. He is pursuing us all the time. As I think about this, I can't help but think about the, you know, the, the picture of an ant crawling on a human being's hand. Now, I'm sure from the ant's perspective, as he's crawling and scurrying around as fast as he can, that he thinks he's actually getting somewhere. But in fact, the human being knows better. The human being knows that there, there's nowhere the ant is going unless the human being allows the ant to go there. Indeed, that's the picture David's creating for us here. Even if we wanted to escape, even if we wanted to flee, we can't. And then, of course, we have not only a God who knows and not only a God who pursues, but a God who plans. David says, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. You know me intimately, God. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Let me just pause here and acknowledge not only the beauty of this passage, but also the theological significance of these words. David says that even before a child is born, God is intimately involved in piecing that child together. David says in the womb, God is involved in planning out that child's days. It, it says Every one of the days of David's life were already planned out for him before he came out of the womb. And so, understandably, David responds by saying, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! 
If I would count them, they are more than the sand. If I awake, I am still with you. Imagine trying to count the sand. I mean, get a handful and good luck even getting that counted. David says, when I think about how much you think of me, it's like the number of grains of sand on the seashore. It's overwhelming how much you think about me, how much you've planned for me. It is quite the picture that we're given. Yes, this is a God who knows us more than we know ourselves. This is a God who pursues us even when we think we're running away. This is a God who has a plan for us even when we think we're in charge. And so the question comes with a passage like this, is this law or gospel? Well, I think it was obviously intended to be words of great comfort from David's perspective. I mean, for the most part, that's what we get here. And yet, and yet, however, however, I think we do have to acknowledge that there is a certain way persons can hear this psalm and hear it not as comfort, but in fact as threat. And that is fundamental to the word of law. The word of law carries threats with it. And the fact is, if one has been living in unrepentant sin, this psalm could be heard as terrifying. After all, there might even be a hint of David feeling like that as he says the words, where can I flee? You would think if David wanted to extol this fact, he would say something like, nothing can ever separate me from the love of God. But now he says, where can I flee? It's as if part of him, part of him knowing that who he is, wants to run away from God. He doesn't want to be seen and so intimately known. I can't help but think of the classic movie Crimes and Misdemeanors starring Martin Landau. He plays a character named Dr. Judah Rosenthal, real community leader, real respected type by everybody uh, around him. But it turns out, like all sinners, Judah Rosenthal has some stuff hidden away, and one of those things hidden away is an affair that he is having uh, with, with a woman. And this woman eventually threatens to out Judah Rosenthal, and of course Rosenthal can't have that. His reputation will be trashed, and so eventually he has the woman killed. And part of what the movie does so well is it shows uh, the character go through these, these stages of fear of being caught and great guilt. And there's this one scene where he imagines he goes back to childhood and his father is looking down at him and saying, Judah, God sees all. And just then, Judah is shown running for his life, and yet he can't escape the gaze of a gigantic eyeball in the sky following him everywhere he goes. Yes, it's true that a passage like this, even though meant to be comforting, can have the opposite effect. As Luther said, the pagan trembles at the rustling of a leaf. If we're, if we're afraid of being condemned, if we see God as pursuing us to harm us, well then, yes, we're going to at least try and live in the denial that he knows or that he pursues, that he can catch us, or that he has a good plan for us at all. It's going to feel quite unsettling. Indeed, I remember Christopher Hitchens, the great atheist uh, debater, uh, saying how much he resented the idea of a God being over him. He just hated that idea. The very idea of it was disgusting to him. Well, yeah, it's not surprising. And so Proverbs 28.1 says something similar to Luther, the wicked flee when no one pursues. Ah, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Now, why on earth would that be? Well, the righteous are bold 
not because of our own righteousness, but because we've been imputed with the righteousness of Christ, we are bold because we have found out that when the hound of heaven catches us, he does not do so to harm us, but to save us. That is the power of the gospel. John Stott writes about C.S. Lewis's conversion beautifully, saying, Sensing God's relentless pursuit of him, he likens him to the great angler playing his fish, to a cat chasing a mouse, to a pack of hounds closing in on a fox, and finally to the diving chess player maneuvering him into the most disadvantageous positions until in the end he concedes, checkmate. Yes, it's our nature. It's our nature because of our desire to control, to run, to flee, to think that we can escape the all-knowing, all-present gaze of God. And yet God, because he is faithful to us, continues to pursue us, boxing us in even, getting us to say checkmate because he knows that the more we run, the more we run into that which will harm us. He knows that the more we run, the more damage we do to ourselves and others. And so he doesn't give up the chase. He seeks and saves the lost, Jesus says. That's his mission statement when he comes. I come to seek and save the lost. You want to know what I'm here to do, folks? It's that. Seek and save the lost, Jesus says. And so we end up like C.S. Lewis, surprised by joy. God catches us, we think we're dead, and instead he resurrects us back to life. As the famous passage from John 3:16 and 17 says, Out of the lips of Jesus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. No, he hasn't sent him out on this search operation to crush the world. No, no, no but in order that the world might be saved through him. And that, my friends, is why we can read a psalm like this, even knowing that God knows us way more than we could ever possibly know ourselves, and yet still be filled with joy, because even though he knows us, he has decided to save us out of great love for us. And that gives us reason to celebrate, friends. So I hope you have a wonderful Tuesday. I hope you are blessed by all that you come across today and that this reminder of God's faithfulness to you in the midst of all of life is an encouragement. God bless. Have a wonderful day.